Welcome to the Swim Swam Podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining me today, we've got a very special guest. He is the associate head coach at the Ohio State University, the Ohio State. Uh, we are sitting down with him to talk sprinting, to, co- to talk the coach's journey, and to uh, break down why the USA might have a culture uh, of racing and winning. It's a lot different than other countries. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to Matt Bow. Hey, Coleman. Glad to, glad to be on the show, man. Excited about it. Uh, I've known you for a while now. It's always great seeing you at meets, uh, seeing you in Columbus. Um, I've, I've sat down at a practice or two of yours, and and you're a really interesting guy. You, you've been coaching. You've been in the swimming game for a long time, um, first as an athlete and then as a coach now. So I want to start um, with that, with your aquatic journey. Um, you were a swimmer for so long, uh, and you started out in Loughborough. Um what, what made you want to get into coaching and, and how did you start that part of your journey? I think part of it, I, w- I was always a curious athlete. So, you know, I, I always wanted to know why we were doing a certain type of training, you know, what that was leading to. Um, I, I was also fortunate that I had really good coaches that were, were kind of inspirational and, and made you love the sport. I mean, I, I was coached by Ben Titley, um, a guy called Ian Armiger, who, who founded Loughborough, was a, a big influence for me. And, um, and then actually Bill Pilzik coached me for a little while when he came over for part of his coaching career in, in Britain. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was those, a combination of those things that, that kind of made me curious about the sport. And, you know, I, I felt like I'd achieved a great deal in my swimming career. But I also felt like in some ways I could have done some things better. And it was, it was all about kind of educating the next generation and trying to help them with, with their journey. So yeah, that, that's what really brought me to the sport. Okay. I, I did not realize you were coached by Ben Titley. We had him on the show. He was one of my favorite guests I've had because he had some of the best stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from from Canada and from Loughborough. I'm curious, do you have a Ben Titley story that stands out to you? Oh, that's that's a tough one. Um, I mean, probably the story that stands out to me the most, I, I think I heard him tell it on the podcast. It was, it was the one of, um, so so in the training group where, where um, I was a part of early on, that in that training group was Mel Marshall, who now coaches Adam PC and, and, uh, you know, Liam Tancock, Francesca Halsall. So there, there was, there was quite a good group of, of, uh, international athletes. And, um, I, I believe Ben told this story and he can tell it so much better than I can, but, um, yeah, he, he, he's a little bit, how, how do I put it? He, he, he enjoys these stories, Ben does, and he, and he enjoys playing pranks on people. That's probably the best way. So, um, you know, that, I think the story that he told was the one about Mel when she put the scream mask on and <laughs> kind of hid in the bushes. And, 
And uh, yeah, it was it was kind of payback. So it was awesome to see Ben just get a little bit of his own uh, yeah his own prankster back at him. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's probably the best story I think. That's that that was certainly a good one, and it's certainly not every day you see swimmers prank the coaches like that. Um, I didn't I didn't realize that it was payback for him pranking the swimmers. Oh, he he was he was always playing pranks, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he still does, but yeah, maybe, maybe now that he's a bit older, he's had to tame it down a little bit. <laughs> that makes, that makes sense. Uh, but, but that's, that sounds super cool. And that sounds like a really good training environment. And so, um, I, I feel like I've known a lot of curious athletes in my day or people who are just like, okay, what are we, what are we doing here? Why are we doing this? What does it mean? <laughs> what, yeah. what's the meaning behind this? Um, and so you coached, in Britain for a while. Um, and then you came to the U S uh, was Eastern Michigan, your first position in the U S it was. Yeah. So, so I was, I was an athlete just to backtrack a little bit. I was an athlete in Ben's group. And then when I finished my career in 2009, Ben had an opening. So he, he was the, one of the coaches at the national center in Loughborough hmm. and he had an opening for if, effectively, it was kind of a volunteer position which then became a, a paid coaching position. So, um, you know, at, at that point, I was really intrigued by the sport. I, I loved trying to help people, you know, help people develop, not just as athletes, but as, as individuals. And so, you know, when, when he said, hey, uh, we, we've got this position, would you be interested? I, I just thought you're not going to get a better position than, than this, you know, working alongside one of Britain's top coaches at the time. And so... Um, so that, that's kind of how it started. And, and then my, my position in Loughborough evolved a little bit. So I would work alongside Ben and, and kind of learn from him and, and one of the other British coaches um, that was in Loughborough at the time. And then I had my own um, university group that, that I coached there. And so it, it was great because I was learning things from them. And then I was kind of putting it in, into practice myself and, and, you know, learning by trial and error, as a lot of coaches do. So that, that was kind of my, my journey there in Loughborough. And then um, when I moved to the U.S., I, I started with Eastern Michigan University. And, and um, you know, it was obviously a different vibe. It was um, in terms of the level of talent. It wasn't the same as, as working with, you know, top British Olympian athletes. So, but but that, that was almost a, a great time in my career because, you know, if you're working with the elite level athletes, then if you tell them to do something, they can generally do it pretty easily or they can make changes quickly. So when you're, when you're working with a level of athlete, that's not, you know, Olympic level, world level, you have to find a way to, to kind of get them to understand what it is you're looking for and, and help them develop in different ways. So it, it definitely made me better as a coach and, and um, you know, Peter Lynn, who was the head coach at Eastern Michigan was a, a really knowledgeable guy and, and, uh, you know, so it was great learning from him as well. What I have to ask, what inspired that move? You know, I'm I'm guessing Eastern Michigan isn't a place you would have heard of uh, no, necessarily. It's, it's not. Um, I I always dreamt of going to the to the U.S. to swim as an athlete, and I I think I think it kind of goes through in waves. So. You know, at certain times, British swimming, are, are, you know, wanting to keep their best athletes 
as part of the centers in Great Britain. And then at other times, some of the top athletes would go over to the U.S. So, you know, Simon Burnett swam at University of Arizona, Gemma Spoffer, uh, Steph Proud, people like that swam at University of Florida. So some of the top Olympians. Um, and just at, at the time when I was thinking about going, not that many were, were going over to the U.S. And so um, the, the centers in the U.K. were recruiting me to go there as well. And so... You know, that's, that's kind of why I stayed in, in Britain as an athlete. But then I, I really felt like I missed out on an experience not going to the U.S. as an athlete. So that, that kind of really, I, I guess there was part of me that just felt like I missed out. And, and, you know, I really wanted to go over and experience what the NCAA was like and, you know, that whole culture of college, college athletics over here. Yeah. And, and uh, so you were at Eastern Michigan for how long? I was there for three years. Yeah. Okay. Then, you know, from, from start to finish, can you describe what you feel like you did pick up from the NCAA system? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the NCAA system is just, I, I think you learn how to race tough and, and, you know, race under pressure when you're in the middle of hard training. So I, I feel like in Europe, the culture is more that you, you maybe kind of get ready for a few more meets along the way. So you, you don't race as much. And then when you do race, you probably have a, have a little bit of rest going into those races. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think culturally, a lot of, a lot of Europe tends to put on a tech suit every time they race. Whereas here in the U S you know, it's, it's very much uh, um, maybe, maybe it's changed a little bit in the last few years or at least with certain teams, but it was very much a, a case where you just wear speedos for dual meets and, and then put on your tech suit for the, for the conference meet and NCAAs and, you know, obviously Olympic trials and those kind of meets. But um, I, I think it makes you, it makes you kind of race hardened. So you, you know what it means to step up when, you know, you've just maybe done a two hour practice right before the dual meet, you probably lifted weights that morning and you've still got to get up and race at a really high level because it's not just for you. Your, your team is dependent on you, whether it's, you know, your relay or, 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 you know, just the, the whole team needs those points to win the dual meet. So it's, um, it's, it's definitely much more of a team concept. And, um, you know, I think that's another reason why the, the U S is so good as a team is just because of the, the collegiate system. And so, so the, that's a great segue. We'll, we're, we're going to come back to your coaching, but you know, as you said, um, the U S is, is different, you know, they, they go to the Olympics, especially in swimming and they win noticeably more medals every single year than, than any other country. Um, I mean, j- at least on average. Um, and so in, in, you have an interesting perspective coming from the UK, um, Aside from the NCAA, which I, I think we all know is pretty unique to the U.S., you know, other countries have college systems, but I don't think anything is, is quite like the NCAA for the reasons you just described. Um, what do you see that, that, that has the U.S. standing out from other countries in terms of building a team and, and being able to breed a culture uh, of winning? So the it's interesting. This is a question that I get a lot when I go back home to the UK or, and, and that's not been for a while due to COVID, but 
um, or, or when I'm in Europe, you know, and, and bump into coaches over there. And, and I, they, they always ask me, you know, what, what do you do over there in the U.S.? How, how do you train? And I, I think they're always looking for kind of the, the physical component or, you know, what are you doing differently in the, in the way you prepare athletes and coach them? And, you know, what does your weekly cycle look? What does, you know, they're all, always looking for those kind of things. And I honestly don't think, and, and this is my opinion, I, I don't think that the U.S. does anything better necessarily than what some coaches have done in Europe or, or Canada or Australia. I think the biggest thing is just culturally here in the U S you know, you, you grow up in high school and you stand there in front of the national anthem um, before you play, whatever it is you're playing in high school. And then that kind of carries over into college. And, and I think there's just this real culture of, of um, doing your part for the team and, I, I, I think that that carries over into the national team because it, it, it's almost like it alleviates some of the pressure. And, and so, you know, pe people outside of the U.S. will say that the Olympic Games is the most high-pressure environment you will ever experience as an athlete in, in our sport. In the U.S., I would disagree with that. I think that Olympic trials in the U.S. is the highest pressure environment that athletes in the U.S. experience because that's the only meet where you are kind of on your own. You're not part of a team. Yes, you're there with your club team or your college team, but it's kind of you against the other people to try and get those top two spots at the trials. Once you make the team and you're part of Team USA going to the Olympic Games, all of a sudden it's part of that team aspect again. And, and so it's just my opinion, but I, I feel like that alleviates it. It's, it's a cultural thing. And I, I feel like growing up in the U.S., you just really understand what it means to be part of a team. And, and I think that alleviates some of the pressure. That's a, I, I feel like that's a lot of good points, that some of which I had never taken account, taken into account, um, you know, how often they play the national anthem. You, you go to a swim meet, you play that you hear the national anthem before every single session. And to me, that's always like, Oh yeah, the national anthem. But, um, you, when you think about it, it's like, yeah, it's like, this is, this is getting you ready to, to be a part of the United States to feel pride because it is something that is very familiar to you. If, and when you do get up on a stage where you're representing the U S and, um, you know, like we said, the NCAA builds, builds good. It gives you a good sense of team, but so do high school sports. So do, you know, middle school sports. Um, I, I think in the U S that's, that's a big, big thing is that a lot of kids play team sports and, and feel like they're a part of a team. And, and, and it's not that, you know, I, I'm, I've got a huge sense of pride to be British and I'm sure a lot of other nations, whether it's Europe or the rest of the world, feel that same pride to represent their country. But I think the U S culturally just makes it all about a team. So, so I feel like swimming in the rest of the world is, is considered an individual sport. Whereas here in the U S it's absolutely a team sport. There's an individual component to it, but it's definitely a team sport. So I, I think that's where the difference lies. 
that's 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 a really interesting point. Do <clears throat> I'm curious how people respond when you explain this theory to them? You know, if they ask you, "Oh, what what makes the U.S. stand out?" Yeah, I th- I think they're shocked because I I do think they're always looking for you know, well, what are you doing? How are you breaking down your practices? You know, what type of work are you doing? You know, are you, are you doing more anaerobic work than what we do in the rest of the world? Or, you know, What's what, the what secret is... Greg Troy set? <laughs> yeah, no, it is. They're, they're always looking for that secret recipe. And, and I, I don't think there are any secrets. I, I just think it's, you know, obviously the U.S. has, has probably more swimmers than, than a lot of certainly other smaller countries in Europe. So the talent pool is bigger, but I, I don't think that's just the difference. I think there's definitely some cultural things that make the U S the, the great nation that they are. That's, I mean, honestly, that's high praise to, to, to the U S. Um, but I think that's a really good point and it's really interesting. And so you got to come here and experience that and be a part of that team in Eastern Michigan um, and then you start climbing up the coaching ladder, which, which is, which is something that a lot of coaches do that seems really hard, um, yeah. for, for a myriad of reasons. And so, um, toward the end of your time at Eastern Michigan, did you have a goal of, okay, I've, I've, I've been here for this amount of time. This is where I want to go next for this reason. I mean, I, I... <clears throat> I think because I'd experienced swimming at a high level as an athlete, but then also coaching in, in Loughborough at a high level, I, I always wanted to, to get back to that kind of team where you're, you're not just preparing people for the collegiate season, you're preparing people for, for meets beyond and, and uh, you know, the, the meets in the summer, whether that's world championships, Olympic games. And so, you know, I, I always knew that I wanted to get back to doing both mm-hmm. and and you know eastern michigan is as great a program as it was and and you know fantastic at the at the uh, conference level you know we we didn't really have that caliber of athlete you you didn't recruit that caliber of athlete where you know you were putting people on on international teams so you know i the the thing i love about coaching in the u.s is you have both and if if you can get to a team you know, like Ohio State, like Indiana, where I worked, you, you, you're you going to have the best of both worlds because you're going to have a great college team where there's a focus on the conference meet, NCAAs, but then you're going to have a handful of athletes that are that elite level and they want to go further and, and, you know, represent their country, whether that's the U.S. or, or other nations. So, so you, uh, you make the switch from Eastern Michigan. Did you go straight to Indiana after that? I, I did. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I was kind of ready to, to move on from Eastern Michigan and, and look to, like you said, to, to move up the ladder a little bit. And um, yeah, I think, I think Ray Luce just kind of reached out to me and they, they had an opening and, and um, I think he was kind of intrigued by my background in, in coaching and in the sports. And, and so um I had a, had a quick conversation with him and came out for an interview. And I, that, that was a funny story in itself because I came out for the interview and I, di- I didn't really know what to expect. So I was kind of in my suit and, uh, you know, shoes, you know, kind of suit and tie, everything. And, and uh, Ray said, hey, uh, I, I wondered if you wanted to come and uh, 
check out practice tomorrow morning. So I think my interview was meant to start at like 9 a.m. And he said, do you want to come at 5.30 or 6? And, and so I said, sure, you know, I'm, I love coaching. So I wanted to go and see what was going on. And uh, got to the pool deck and then, uh, you know, Ray, Ray said, here, grab, grab this stopwatch and you can time those guys over in the far lane. So it was, uh, it was pretty funny that, you know, he just kind of threw me into it a little bit. And, you know, I was, I was happy to help out anyway. So, yeah, that, that was my experience. And then I got the position at Indiana and uh, I, was, I was there for a year actually before I moved to Ohio State and, you know, um, just a great opportunity came up at Ohio State. And so, you know, I kind of moved, moved on again from an assistant role to an associate head coach. Um, but yeah, Indiana was a great experience. I learned a lot from, uh, you know, from obviously Ray and, and, you know, his record speaks for itself. But also at the time, Dennis Dale was there working with the sprint group. And yeah, Dennis is a fountain of knowledge. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool working with him as well. Okay. I mean, obviously it's probably a long list, but, um, can you talk about what you picked up from Dennis in particular? I've never had the opportunity to, uh, to sit down and chat with him, which I need to put him on my list of, of podcast people. But, um, yeah, what, what, what do you feel like you picked up from Dennis, especially, you know, him, him having the, uh, the record of being a sprint coach that he did? So I think the biggest thing was just Dennis's relationship with the athletes. I mean, you know, there's this huge debate in coaching, you know, is it, you know, is it better to be a science person and know the science and know how to, how to, you know, coach the different energy systems or, or are you better to be a, a, a you know, like a, an athlete's coach or whatever, a player's coach and, and just have great relationships. And maybe you don't know the science as well. And, and I think, you know, I, I think it, there's benefits to having both. You know, I've, I've got a background in, in sports science and I did my major in that. So I, I, I'm intrigued by the science behind everything. But working with Dennis there at Indiana and, and you know, Ben Titley is the same to a certain extent. I think um, just the, the relationship that Dennis had with the athletes, there was just absolute trust. And, and so, you know, when I look at my career now and, and the way I approach things as a coach, that is the foundation of, of my kind of coaching style, I guess, is just you have to have a, a really good relationship with the athletes and, and you have to trust is, is the kind of foundation of, of uh, everything you do in coaching because you, you can't get the performance without trust. You have to build the trust first. So, yeah, that, that was the biggest thing. I'm not sure that was what you were looking for. You were probably looking for the, the science of coaching as, as well. I was looking for the Dennis Dale secret set, man. <laughs> but no, I mean, what? Dennis did do some fun sets, but, uh, <laughs> but no, it, honestly, it was just his relationship with, you know, the athletes loved him. They, they trusted him and, and that worked both ways. And, you know, I think you can ask many coaches, the, a similar question. And I think you would probably get a similar answer. You know, I don't, I don't think that's too much of a secret that you got to have that trust, uh, but that athlete coach trust. And so that, you know, if you're on the coach's journey, that's a, that's a, that's a big lesson to learn, I think. Yeah. Um, so then you, you, you go to Indiana, 
you learn a lot. Um, and then all of a sudden you get this opportunity to be the associate head coach at Ohio state. Um, what, you know, obviously the, there's the, there's the title there, but what was intriguing to you about uh, Columbus as a whole? So I, I think the thing that really intrigued me about taking the job was, was just, I felt like Ohio state was this, this team that, you know, I mean, when you think of Ohio state athletics, you think of the football team and just, just a, a real passion to be a Buckeye. And, and so, um, so I, I always felt that, you know, in the past it was two separate programs. So it was a men's team and, and a women's team, separate programs. And so when I came in, that was when we newly combined the, the, the program. And so Bill Dorancott, who was the women's head coach at the time, took over as the combined head coach. And, and so, you know, through conversation with Bill, I just felt that Ohio State was a bit of a sleeping giant in terms of, you know, I, I looked at the results that the team had had in, in recent years, and I just felt that, that we could do a lot better and, and no disrespect to, to Bill or, or Bill Wadley, because I know they were building the team up from, you know, a, a pretty tough spot in terms of the culture. But I just looked at it and I was like, man, this is, this is awesome. Like we could do something special here. And so, you know, through talking with Bill, he, he really, he said he was looking for someone to come in and, and really develop the sprinters and that side of the program. And um, I, I think he was intrigued as well. Cause you know, I, I think I'm very passionate about recruiting and, you know, obviously with the international piece as well, then that, that helps in terms of bringing athletes from overseas. So, um, you know, th those were kind of the two things that, that Bill really talked about. He, ju he just said, you know, we, we, need to, we need to get stronger in relays, stronger on the sprint side. And, um, you know, recruiting is going to be a huge part of that. So those two things I'm really passionate about. So it was, it was kind of a good fit. Okay, so, so now is the time when I want to dive into – you know, you, you get a little more autonomy, you get to be an associate head coach and, and really drill your fingers into this Ohio state sprint program. So I want to get into the nuts and the bolts of, of how, how you grew this sprinting program, um, aside from obviously gaining the athletes trust. Yeah. So, so I, I think, you know, part of it is recruiting the right athletes and, um, you know, I, I was brought in, I was, I was uh, given the recruiting coordinator title um, for the men and uh, Brian Tansel, who I worked with at Eastern Michigan, he's the recruiting coordinator for the women. And, you know, we, we knew each other from back at our time at Eastern Michigan and we're, we're both very passionate about recruiting. And, and I, I think we also understand that it's, you know, I, I think the era has gone now where you could just be a really good coach and not have the recruiting side. I think, if you're going to say that you're a really good coach, you have to be able to coach the athletes and understand how to develop them and make them faster. But you also have to know how to bring in the best talent as well. I mean, you, you look at the NCAA, the teams that are doing the best, they've, they've got great, great coaches that can also recruit really well. So, um, so that, that was the first step. And, and, you know, it, it was just, again, building relationships with, with high school athletes or, or athletes overseas and, and just, really selling them on, on what we were building at Ohio state. And when, when I say selling them, it's not selling them on something that wasn't 
going to happen. You know, it was, it was something we were really passionate about. So we, you know, we weren't speaking out of turn or, or, you know, saying that we were something we weren't, we were just very passionate about where we saw the program go in and, 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 you know, where we felt we could get to with the resources that you have and obviously a great facility at Ohio state. So, so that, that was kind of the first step. And, and then, um, you know, in, in terms of coaching, I, I, um, so I, I'll, I'll say this, that I feel like you have to dream as an athlete. So you have to really dream of, of, um, you know, being elite and, and, um, you know, I, th I think that, I think that in coaching, a lot of the time we talk about process. So, you know, you, you'll, you'll always hear coaches say, well, we don't want to talk about outcomes. We want to talk about the process first. And I agree with that completely. But I also feel that, you know, you have to have the dreams first because those are the things that inspire you. You know, you don't, you don't get out of bed in the morning because you're thinking about holding 11 dolphin kicks off the wall or, or not breathing last stroke into a turn, first stroke out, you get out of bed because you want to make the Olympic games. You want to medal at the Olympic games. You want to win a gold medal or, or you want to win NCAAs or those kind of things. So that, that's what inspires you. And then the goals and the process piece that, that forms the process of how to get there, if that makes sense. So, um, so yeah, that, that's kind of, the, the thing that I'm passionate about and I think you've got to make people dream. And then, um, you know, when, when you get down to the nuts and bolts, I'm coaching the sprint group here at Ohio state. And so if you're going to be an elite sprinter, then you better be able to swim fast and swim fast often. So, um, so that, that's kind of where my passion lies. You, you have to, you have to be specific to the event that you're going to swim. And I don't mean that you should coach athletes for the event. I think you have to coach them as individuals because what works for one athlete is not going to necessarily work for another. So you definitely have to treat them as individuals, but there is, um, there's a specificity to certain races. So or, or race requirements is probably a better way to put it. So if you're going to be a 50 freestyler, you, um, you better be able to hold your breath and do that with, without breathing, you know, may, maybe as you're developing throughout your career, you're a one breath athlete or something like that. And, and there's always going to be exceptions. You know, someone's going to say, well, this person breathes every stroke and they're really fast. But I think there's race requirements that allow you to, to be elite. And so you have to coach to those race requirements and, and then also, you know, push the boundary as well and, and try and be on the front edge of the sport. And, you know, uh, you know, not, not just do what everyone else does, but try and, uh, try and change the sport yourself. So for, I'm going to ask just one or two kind of specific questions about you as a sprint coach, you know, for, for kids out there who are listening or for coaches out there who are listening, you know, the, for, in a normal training week, you might have do some aerobic work, some threshold work, some pace work, and then some power work. I don't know, whatever. I didn't swim in college, so I don't know how these things work actually. But, um, you know, if, if you're a sprint coach or you're just doing power six days a week, um, what, what, wh how do you tow that line of aer aerobic work, threshold power, you know, wh what does that look like for you on a weekly basis? 
So I think it changes throughout the season. You know, you're, you're going to do a little bit more aerobic work early in the season to, to kind of um, lay the foundation and, and make sure you've, you've got that base of, of fitness. And then as you, as you go through the season, you're going to factor in more anaerobic work. Um, we're, with the power, yes, we do a lot of power. You know, we probably include in the work we do on, you know, underwater kick, we're probably doing about four or five power practices a week, you know, cause so, some of it is just working purely on kick. Some of it is uh, swim as well. Um, but you've also got to be careful where, when you're, when you're working with sprinters that you don't overload the central nervous system. So, you know, this is the scientist in me coming out, but you know, you can, uh, if, if you're hitting them hard in the weight room, you know, that's taking a huge hit on the central nervous system. And then if you're doing that, a lot, a lot of that type of work in the pool as well, then, you know, they, they can get pretty fatigued. So I feel like with sprinters, they get more fatigued from that type of work than they do from aerobic work. You know, I think when, when certainly when I was an athlete, I was thinking, man, I can't stand this aerobic work because I was a sprinter. And uh, I, I thought that that was what broke me down when in reality, it's, it's, it's far more dangerous for, for sprinters doing the, you know, a lot of anaerobic work, a lot of power work. That's, that's likely the type of work that's going to break them down rather than aerobic work. So you, you've got to have balance in there and you've got to do some of the aerobic work just to, um, you know, help, help the athletes recover. And, um, you know, I, I'll say this with sprinting, especially on the men's side, we, we kind of have a polarized approach. So, you know, you're, you're usually going to go really, really fast or you're going to go pretty steady with good technique. There's not a lot of in between. So there's not a, not a ton of the threshold type work now with, with the women that I coach. And, and so my role at Ohio state, I oversee the, the men and the women sprinters and I work more directly with the men and we call it zone one. And then Brian Tansel works with the women in zone two. Um, but I would say we're, we're kind of together about, 60, 70% of, of the week and then split off from maybe two or three practices. Um, and so with the women, they, they definitely need a little bit more of, of that kind of middle ground work, in my opinion, just physiologically, I think it helps them. Um, but yeah, on the, on the men's side, we tend to have more of a polarized approach. So it's either going steady, but really good details, really good technique, or you're going really high end. So race pace or faster. That's what I was looking for. So, so th thank you. That was, that was a great mini look into, yeah. What, what an Ohio state sprint week looks like. Um, so I'd be remiss if, if I didn't hit on this before we close out for the hours, uh, you know, this year, Ohio state had an historic season. Uh, you all finished seventh on both the men and the women's side at NCAAs, uh, which is, if you look at the top seven teams, the, the only other two programs to do that were Cal and Texas, uh, which are, or, which are not combined programs. Um, so obviously in, in a COVID season when everything was abnormal, um, for you personally, as, as your coach in your zone, you know, for the kids you were working with, what do you feel like went really well, um, this season in particularly? I think, and, and I, I can speak about my zone, but I think it was, it was definitely on a team level. It was just, we, we have a really strong culture and, and it's taken, you know, 
two, three, four years to build that culture to where it is right now. And so I, I just feel that the athletes understood the importance of, of what they needed to do to number one, save their season and make sure that, that we actually were able to compete at, at big tens and NCAAs. So that, you know, I've got to give credit to the athletes on that. They, they really did, you know, understand that they had to be careful. They had to um, make some sacrifices, some really difficult decisions, you know, so I felt for the freshmen that that they were the ones that found it the hardest because they came to Ohio state on this premise, you know, what we told them in the recruiting process of, of just, you know, this is what it's going to be like. You're going to be living in the dorms, but you know, you're going to be uh, mixing with the athletes that are off campus. And we do this as a team, we do that as a team. And then they were stuck in their dorm room for pretty much the whole year. So um, that, that was really tough on them. And, and I think they, they handled it really well. And, and, you know, we were, we were really careful to make sure we, we supported them through that. But, um, but no, I, I think, I think having a strong culture is, is what helped us get the results we got at the end. And, and, you know, we, we work with a, a company called focus three that, that comes in and, and, you know, works with our team on a regular basis to help develop the culture and um, one of the things they always talk about is adjust and adapt. Um, so it's kind of part of um, part of what we use when you when you face an event. You know what what is your response to that event? And so you know there's a whole sequence of things that that you can do to help you manage those events a lot better. And uh, one of one of those pieces is adjust and adapt. And you know in in a COVID year, so many things were changing. Every day I felt like I came into practice and we were expecting one thing. And then, you know, whether it's athletes contact traced or, you know, just lifeguards, you know, the, the lifeguards weren't available because they got COVID or been contact traced. So we had to change the way we did things in the pool. So I just think the athletes did a really good job of adjusting, adapting to, to change. And, you know, they, they never let it get them down. They, they, you know, they didn't, they didn't come to practice and, and feel like it was a burden because things were changing. I, I actually think that practice became an outlet for them. It, you know, it became the, the one thing that was constant. So whether, whether we had a season or not, you know, we, at, at one point we, we didn't know whether we were going to have NCAAs, but I think the athletes loved coming to practice because it, it was one thing that was constant in their life. Everything else was kind of going crazy around them, but practice was kind of like a safe space. So yeah, that, that really helped. And, and then, uh, you know, just, just talking to the athletes about what we created. And, and um, I know you asked about a zone level. I, I, I talk to the zone all the time about how proud I am of, of the way they've, they've, you know, just worked really hard to, to get everything they've achieved so far. And so going back to what I was saying about dreaming big, you know, we, we had some things that we wanted to get done, whether that was a conference and, you know, for the women, it was repeating and, and uh, winning another big 10 title. And for the men, we knew we were a better team at NCAAs. We just had kind of higher end talent and not quite the depth. And, and so um, we knew that we'd built our relays to be, you know, really strong and, and contend for some uh, national titles. And, and so we, we were really focused on trying to deliver that at the meet and, yeah, we had some good relays there as well. And obviously diving for the men, uh, 
our, our diving program's really strong, so they they helped us out a lot of the meet. Yeah, I mean that's it's it's so it's been so great for me personally to hear everyone's accounts and how much they differ so much moving through this season, but it seems like you all were able to find uh, a, a pretty successful solution. And, and like you said, it makes sense when, when, when people are staying able to find ways to stay positive, uh, because I think in any situation that probably helps move things along pretty, pretty smoothly. Yeah. I mean, looking back on the season now, I look at it more as, okay, it was, it was really difficult. You know, there's still some things that are difficult right now as, as we're not completely through it, but, what are the positives that you take away from it? That's, that's the thing that I look at now. What, what did we learn through COVID? And so, you know, I think, I think there's things that we learned from a coaching perspective, but there's also things we learned recruiting, you know, I think like, like we're here on zoom right now and, and uh, you know, zoom kind of became our, our baby in terms of recruiting. So, you know, we were using it all the time for, for recruiting calls and, I couldn't imagine going back to just calling athletes and not video calling them. Cause I think this is way more personal than, than just a regular phone call. So, you know, we're, we're obviously getting through it and recruiting starting again here in June and we'll be able to get off campus and have athletes on campus. But, you know, I, I think the, the zoom piece as, as much as I, I wouldn't want to do that just solely, I, I want to interact with, with recruits face to face and, you know, have that, have that face-to-face interaction on campus. I think zoom is uh, definitely something we'll use in the, in the future. Which makes a lot of sense. You know, you and I were talking before this about how, yeah, I mean, I think this pandemic will change things forever moving forward. And like any other major event in the world, you know, it, it, it'll bring change and some good and some not so good, but, but, but change nonetheless. And so I think that's a, that's a really good point. I think that's a great note note for us to wrap up on um i mean matt i i really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat with me today um before we sign off any parting thoughts for our audience um i just think that you you've always got to make the best of a of a tough situation and that that's really what we did here at ohio state we just you know we weren't going to let covid kind of take everything away from us so i think you've got to find the positives in in everything you do and you know, going back to what we were talking about, you know, with with finding the positives in COVID, I think, you know, it it made our athletes understand how to be better teammates because they really understood that their actions affected those around them more than just themselves. You know, I think it was really exaggerated in this COVID year. So, yeah, find the positives in everything because there'll, there'll always be some. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.